was cloned three times, I would be just as busy as I am now. <laughs> and the idea that you retire and you're out of way, it's like, huh, hmm. I mean, I, I retired because I had more things to do. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to a brand new episode of the Christian Ultra Podcast. This is episode 12. Today's guest is Buzz Burrell, who runs the fastest known Times website. He's also an epic athlete himself, and we get talking about ultra endurance and stuff like that. It's a really good show. Um, not much else to say, but guys, sit back and enjoy it. It's going to be a real fun one. Hey, welcome to the show, Buzz Burrell. Thanks for having me, Christian. Good to talk with you. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I, I, it's, it's, I suppose it's difficult where to start, but a nice place is always uh, kind of maybe go back into the earlier years and maybe uh, talk about what got you interested in. I, I can't just say running, I've got to say outdoors because I know you're a, a multi-sport kind of fellow. Well, that's, so going all the way back, that's right. I just like to be outside and play in my clever little one-liner is to say I used to go outside and play all day long when I was a kid and I'm still a kid so <laughs> yeah. not that much has changed and I think that's really what it is I never got I've done lots of races many many different sports and many different distances I really am competitive I like to compete but I really like to go outside and play I like to be outside in nature so as you mentioned multi-sport so I sort of made my mark, as you mentioned, running. I've also competed in bicycle. I've competed in Nordic ski. I've done stand-up paddleboard races. I've done surf ski races. I've competed in dance, actually, in volleyball, etc. But mainly, I just like to be outside. And the fastest known time gives me an opportunity to set a goal, set a standard, and go after it. And that's, of course, what everyone else is taking from it also. The opportunity to go outside and find a standard and set a goal and apply yourself toward that goal. Yeah. Actually, let's uh, give the listeners um, some, uh, so we can kind of paint a a picture. So what year were you born and how long have you been an active um, outdoorsman? I sat next to Jesus in the third grade. So, <laughs> oh, man. But uh, kidding aside, I was born in 1951, and I ran my first ultra distance in 1967, which, of course, was, no, I take that back, 1968, which was before most people I know were even born. Wow. So that's how long I've been doing things like this. So you were 17 years old when you, you weren't even 18 yet and you ran your first ultra distance. Correct. And what was that distance? I lived in Michigan and I just, uh, <laughs> I started off. Uh, <laughs> it's unsimplistic, but this is indeed how it tends to go at the beginning. I just started running in a particular direction yeah. until I got really tired and I turned around and ran home. Wow. Yeah, and that was a little over 32 miles, so basically a little over 50K. And, of course, that was no food, no water. Yeah, no water as well. Well, wasn't real smart. Not saying I was smart. I just <laughs> said I've been doing this a long time. Uh, there's a big difference between being smart and being experienced. You know what I mean? A lot of times people say, well, I've been doing this for so many years, so... Maybe you've yeah. been a fool for so many years. And to some degree, I think you could use that to describe me. I've been doing things a long time, but maybe I'm a slow learner. You know, maybe, I've been no. doing, maybe I'm still doing this because it takes me a long time to learn. No, I come on. I really think that um, doesn't matter what age you are. If you've stopped learning, you've stopped living, right? I mean, there's always something to learn. It doesn't matter what age you are. Um, right. Yeah, always lessons. Uh, well, had you, did you know what ultra was? Were you inspired by anybody or did you just kind of go out and have an adventure? What, what was the drive behind that besides? Yeah, um, no, the, yeah. the term almost had not been coined. I never really heard of anyone else doing it. Like you just alluded to, Christian, I just started doing things. 
I didn't mm. particularly feel like stopping, so I would just keep going. I think the term ultra came up in popular parlance later. It was just means longer than a marathon. Okay. And so nowadays it's it's kind of skewed. So I, a number of years ago, I talked to someone and say they're going to do a race. So what are you going to do? Say, oh, we're just going to do something short, you know, the 50 miler. <laughs> 50 miles? 50 miles isn't short. That's ridiculous. And it's kind of gotten odd. So officially, you know, long distance is anything 5K and up until you get to the marathon. So you know, middle distance is like 800 meters in a mile. Long yeah. distances are more than that. So anything more than a marathon is an ultra marathon, yeah. which we've shortened to call it an ultra. But it's you know it's still pretty long there, and I uh, personally never had good turnover. I'm sorry to say, I wish I did. You know, I wish I was faster. I wish I had better leg speed. I yeah. never really. I, I raced competitively in high school, and I always wished I was a little faster. But I always had good innate endurance, and so I gravitated towards. Well, let's just keep going. Yeah, what you're good at. Um... And you know what, where did this love of the outdoors uh, come from? Where did you grow up? I guess it wasn't in a city. It was in a city. I grew up in oh. a town called Kalamazoo, Michigan, in the Midwest of the United States. Okay. Not a big city, but 100,000. Yeah. But I, everywhere you go, unless you're in a very big city or an inner city, there's some degree of nature nearby. Yeah. So down this block from me, there was a woods. And so when you're seven years old, woods are pretty big. <laughs> right? Yeah, massive. Woods, you know, it'd be like, you know, 400 meters across. But that's pretty big. You can get a lot yeah. done at 400 meters. You can build tree forts and go play pirates and so forth. And uh, I, I just liked being outside, liked being in nature, and just kept doing that. When it was time to go to university, I chose University of Colorado in Boulder, Colorado. Mm. I had never been there, but I knew it had mountains. Okay. So I said, that's where I'm going. And so we drove out to attend CU in Boulder. And as we drove in, whoa, those mountains were rearing up on the horizon, coming out of the Great Plains. They crank up to 13 and 14,000 feet. And right away, I said, I'm not going back. Yeah, well, I mean, mountains are just visually stunning. I, I completely agree with you. I've spent time going over in, uh, to Poland or, uh, you know, like the Alps. And when you're standing looking at a mountain, it really is awe-inspiring and something which, I mean, you know, you can't buy that really. You can't. It's special. Right. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what did you study at university? Not, you know, not that much. I studied geography because I was interested. Yeah. I was interested in the outer doors. So yeah. I said, I'm not going to go to school. I'm not really that interested in this. And so I took classes in geology and weather and climate. I did it for one year and then I quit, which was my intention all along. Yeah. And uh, six months later, I was running my own business. Wow. So quite the entrepreneur then. Yeah. yeah in the, yeah. In the location am, yeah. you want to be. Yeah. In the location right. that you want to be. I want to be in Boulder and I was running a natural food store. One of the earliest natural food stores ever. That would have been 1971 or 72. Wow. And when you say natural food store, it's similar to maybe like whole food market, that kind of, um, uh, th those kind of items on the shelves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A precursor to whole foods market. Yeah. They're a yeah. little bigger than I was. Yeah. I, uh, um, I think maybe who knows, even a little bit more expensive. I've heard them referred to as whole wage packet, you yeah. know, as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. Whole paycheck. Um, so uh, also, I know, um, you know, what, so what's your connection with, because uh, I have done some study, but I, so what's your like a connection with ultimate direction as well? Because I know you're, you're a strong force. I think you joined in 2012 and then you helped triple sales. 
More than triple. Yeah. <laughs> More than triple, actually. Yeah, I, Ultimate Direction was the original hydration brand. It was uh, one to two years prior to Camelback. So oh, okay. That was a long time ago, 1983. Wow. And then it, the company had been sold a couple of times, and then it basically flatlined. So it was owned by a larger company, and just they weren't paying enough attention. You know how that goes. In this yeah. sport, you need focus. You need to innovate. You need to speak directly to your customers. And they were not doing that. Yeah. And they were almost going to close it down, so they hired me as the manager of Ultimate Direction. And, yeah, we knocked it out of the park. We basically invented hydration vests. Yeah. At that time, everyone was doing pads. You know, yeah. Basically, a bag with a bunch of straps on it. We had the tight, close-fitting vests that came in sizes that were very, very lightweight. And we enlisted some well-known athletes to help us design them. So our motto was designed by athletes for athletes. And that was really fun. So instead yeah. of trying to be the smartest guy in the room, and telling people what they need. No, we listened. I mm. asked people what they need, and we did that. A simple yet effective business plan. Businesses should do that. <laughs> very few people are good listeners. <laughs> and so we, uh, we we were very effective. Yeah. We quickly, be, I had uh, distributors in 23 foreign countries, and we're a worldwide force in the marketplace. And I retired from Ultimate Direction last November. Yeah, I saw that on Mountain Outpost um, with Jam Jam, you know, um, on the YouTube uh, channel. Um, and so just about Ultimate Direction, because I, I remember years ago, I used to wear a camel pack myself. And you have like a, a tube which comes over your shoulder and you can drink. But then I started seeing people holding their water bottles up on front of their chests you know, right. one each side. So was that kind of coined with ultimate direction or did that come from one of the athletes? What is, and is uh, the history of that originating from, you know, you, from your experience, ultimate direction of some of the athletes? Yeah. I, uh, it was an idea of his time to come. So like you say, the reservoir, AKA the bladder, uh, I, I despise and can't stand them and I never could. I just yeah. think it's a good idea. But they're everywhere. And Camelback did extremely well. They basically were invented when the mountain bike boom happened. And so if you're riding a bike, it actually works really well because you can't take your hands off the handlebars, right? Yeah. And they were heavy. But mountain bikes are heavy anyway. So they, they really grew with mountain bikes and then runners started using them too as well. And they became the standard for long distance running. Mm. The disadvantage of the reservoir is that many, first of all, you can't tell how much is in there because you yep. can't see it. Secondly, if you want to fill it, it's a pain in the neck. You basically have to remove it from your pad in order to fill it without getting water over everything. You might be able to fill it while it's still in the pad. But it's sort of a hassle and it's somewhat compressed. Yep. Three, you really only want to put water in it. Because if you put sports drink or anything else in it, it's tough to clean. Yeah. It's kind of hard to clean anyway. And so if you just forget that whole thing and put bottles up front, as I described it, yep. then a number of things happen. First of all, you balance the load. So you have gear in the back and water up front. Your load is more balanced. Secondly, you can just look at the bottle and see what's in it. Thirdly, it stays cooler because it's not next to your body. Fourthly, you can mix sports drink, actually put fruit juice in mine. And fifthly, it's much faster. Mm -hmm. So when we're doing a backcountry run, particularly in Colorado, the Sierras, Wyoming, where I've done a lot of things, I don't often filter. I don't purify. I'll just dip mm -hmm. it out of the stream. Mm -hmm. So Peter and I, for example, Peter Backwind, do a big project up in the Wind River Range. Skirk and I, Andy Skirk and I, would do the Sierra High Route etc etc i'd come by a stream i just hardly break stride you whip the bottle out you dip it in the stream you put it back in you keep moving yeah or if you want to filter or process it you can just put a little iodine in it and drop it right back in and there it is 
uh, to fill a reservoir, in my opinion, is, is really an annoying process, takes time. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that when I moved from the reservoir on my back to bottles up front, I just found everything a lot easier. At first, it was a bit weird to run, but I think it's like anything. You get used to it very quickly and soon um, benefit from um, you know, the efficiency and so on. So yeah, I was, I, I'm a fan and I haven't really turned back. Um, in fact, I used one of your packs when I did Marathon de Sables, that multi-stage in Morocco. And oh, yeah. I think it, yeah, it was the fast pack 35, the bottles up front, nice, um, roll down and clip bag at the back, uh, not complicated. And, um, it worked perfectly. And it, and the, I, I also described that when I was running, I felt like a tortoise, you know, it was just so snug to my back that there was no movement. Uh, so that worked really well. Good. Yeah. Uh, Maritime de Sable is huge and that's a, it's a good way to go. Yeah. Um, so, so what's, so you retired, uh, this year, is that right? Or le- last year? Last November. Oh, okay. And, um, I guess with being such an active, uh, man and a love for the outdoors, you're not like one of these people who doesn't know what to do with their time. (laughs) 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 I I often joke that if I was cloned three times, I would be just as busy as I am now. (laughs) And the idea that you retire and you're out of way, it's like, huh? Hmm. I mean, I, I retired because I had more things to do. <laughs> yeah. And other things I wanted to do besides that. And and so, yeah, I'm just going into the history of it. So that's your history with uh, Ultimate Direction. Um, helped those guys turn into something that they wouldn't have been without you. And then um, happy to retire from that. But actually, how about what's your history with the fastest known time? I mean, did you actually invent the phrase? Really? You know, a friend of mine named Bill Wright is the first known use of that phrase anywhere. Um, it didn't go anywhere and it was very obscure. I I, barely, I don't, didn't actually remember that it took place, but yeah, he, uh, he documented that it did take place. Um, but I think it's just so logical. It's, it's conceivable other people use it as well. I picked oh, it up because that's really what it is. Yeah. When Peter Backlund and I went to do the John Muir Trail. We researched this, and it was really hard to tell what was going on. You see what I mean? Yeah. There's claims and rumors and things like that. Yeah. And so I started looking into this. I did a lot of research on the John Muir Trail so we could establish a good time. And the further back I went, the further I found things. You see yeah. what I mean? This is way before internet. Now, if it's on the internet, you can do a word search and you can come pretty close, but pre-internet, you can't do a word search. And so when I, we were setting a time on the John Muir Trail, we want to call it a record, but really it literally was the fastest known time. Yeah. There could have been another time. You see what I mean? Mm. So all the things I was doing back then, I could not definitively say were the fastest time Mm. it's quite possible that someone else had done it faster and we just didn't know about it and it's hard to believe pre-internet it's hard to believe this social media tidal wave that we're drowning in right now but that used to be the case where it was a little thinner a little more far between and so i think the reason fastest known time was picked up immediately around the world is because it is a good descriptor. It literally is what we're doing. It is the fastest known time. Yeah. And and anyway, I think FKT has much more of a a ring to it than FT, you know, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And of course there's OKTs too. Uh, Only known time. Yeah. uh, Yeah. That's not in popular usage. Yeah. I've heard of that as well. Um, and so you have this uh, fantastic, so for people listening who don't know, um, Buzz Burrell, and you also mentioned, sorry, could you speak about Peter Buckwin? Yeah, Peter is a very good friend of mine. He's one of the three co-founders of fastestknowntime.com. The other is Jeff Schuler, 
who does all the work behind the scenes. He set up the website and does all the uh, internal um, information technology. Yeah. And so the three of us co-founded fastestknowntime.com. Peter's been a good friend of mine for a long time. We've done a lot of projects together. And Peter maintained a fastest known time pro boards site pro boards is a template free template to use he did that for over eight years mm-hmm. uh, laboring by himself and you know he would process like a couple submissions a week you know it was it was awkward site but mm-hmm. it served its purpose and peter really did a good job he worked real hard and peter still is the person who processes almost all of the submissions now which is ludicrous. I'm just putting a word in. If you're listening to this, I'm going to solicit right here and now donations to fastestknowntime.com. If you like what we're doing, make a donation because there's no sponsorship. There's no ads. There's no foundation. Three of us are doing it by ourselves, literally as volunteers. Nobody gets paid. And Peter in particular does a ridiculous amount of work for free. See what I mean, Christine? So people from all over the world, I got one from Marshall Pradesh, India, yesterday. A lot from Great Britain right now. The UK is really hot right now. They come from all over the world. Roots get submitted and FKTs get submitted. And Peter manually processes each one. So uh, what I'm going to do there, Buzz, is I'll put, uh, we have show notes on this podcast and I'll put a link to your, is it Patreon? you guys yeah. use yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i'll put a link to your patreon up there so yeah guys anyone listening um who uses the fastest known time website or wants to submit an fkt or um the like then yeah go ahead and uh, visit the patreon and give some love back uh, to this um you know th- this uh, organization here of just three men um doing it off their own back for passion for sure well thank you christian appreciate that Actually, could you explain the difference between supported, self-supported, and unsupported yes. to the listeners? Yeah. Yeah. And this is mildly annoying because we get a lot of questions about this. Yeah. And on one hand, I'd like to just drop it and just have it be one style instead of three styles. Yeah. Make but it uncomplicated. It, they are yeah. different. They yeah. are substantially different on the longer routes. On mm. the shorter routes, it really doesn't make any difference. Mm. Once you go over, certainly four or five hours, and particularly over like one or over two or three days, Mm. there's a huge difference between supported, which is someone handing you food and water, just like in a race, an aid station. So you maybe you're on a trail. By the way, FKTs don't have to be on trails. They can be off trail or they can be on pavement. There's no definition where an FKT has to take place. Mm-hmm. Uh, supported, you're probably going to be on a trail, and then every you know ten or twenty miles or so, someone's going to meet you when you go through a town at a trail junction, and say, "Hey, Joe, here's some water. You know, mm-hmm. here's some food. What do you need? Just you know, just like an aid station would be at an ultra race, right?" Uh, self-supported is interesting. That would be where you did that yourself in that maybe at that trail junction or that town, you stashed food or water yourself. Or you walked into the local pub and got yourself some fish and chips and then continued on your way. You see what I mean? So nobody in particular was helping you, but you did get assistance from supplies that you left yourself. See what I mean? Self-support is very common. In the United States, the Appalachian Trail, for example, the Pacific Crest Trail, these are big, well-known routes. They're always done self-supported. You can't carry your food and water for 2,000 miles. It doesn't make any sense. Mm. And so self-supported is common. And then supported, self-supported, and then unsupported would be you are carrying everything you need except for water. So water is the exception. So say um, 
big recent route is the Pennine Way. Mm. John Kelly, Damian Hall, they really got after it. Those were supported routes. So they not only had someone meeting them to give them supplies, but they had pacers along the way. Yeah, it's it's almost it's like a race level support. Mm. We could have done that self-supported. It would have taken longer, right? That's yeah. when for 268 miles, you're not going to carry your own food and water. You would have stashed it along the way. You would have put drop boxes out for yourself. Yeah, you see what I mean? Yeah, no one else could have done it for you, and they conceivably could have done it unsupported which would have been carry all their food with them from start to finish and only gather water from natural sources. But in our yeah. opinion, that would have been kind of dumb. So I, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't recommend that. But people get into this stuff, you know? And, and yeah. Peter and I are very clear. One is not better than the other. So do yeah. what works for you, okay? Yeah, yeah. What works best for you. For example, if you got you know, a family. Maybe your family wants to come out with you a little bit. Great. Involve them. That's going to be supported. That's yeah. okay. Or maybe you're just a lonely old codger like me who nobody likes. And then, you know, then I will have to do it uh, self-supported or unsupported. There's no one likes me. <laughs> help me. Come on. <laughs> I'm sure you got some friends. <laughs> well, maybe I do. But maybe I still have friends because I've never asked them. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, so just to clarify, completely understand, supported, someone hands you stuff, self-supported, you stash stuff yourself, and then unsupported, you carry everything except for water, which must be obtained from a natural water source. Right. Yep. And of course, these get nuanced. People, you wouldn't believe the questions we get, Christian. (laughs) Someone says, what if I take a canoe? Okay. Or what if... You know, instead of renting the canoe, it was my canoe and I left it there. So, it, you know, there's, there's yeah. little nuances, but you are basically correct in your yeah. Uh, summary. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So that, and that's, um, that's the FKT uh, website. And there's, I looked, you also have what I like as well. So, yeah, I spoke about, you can search for athletes on there. And obviously you can search for routes and I, I like the feature, which is um, tracking now. So if you hit, if you ever go into the website, uh, people listening here, you can look for current um, FKTs that are being tracked. And what I'm really interested in, what I'm ro- watching right now is um, uh, Liz Angelo, Liz Angelos, Mercury on the trail being supported by Warren Doyle. Um, she's doing pretty good. Um, I think she's a little bit behind the uh, Jen Far Davis's uh, FKT, but you know she's uh, showing real determination there, and and you know sticking with long days because I don't think she can run too much at the moment. Have you? Do you ever personally? Are, are some of these? Um, I know you have an interest in all of them and everything, but there's so many coming in. But do you have certain trails that you have a particular? Um, do you have like favorite long trails or a favorite trail or a favorite part of America you zone in on when someone's doing one of these FKT attempts? Oh, that's an interesting question. I'm familiar with a lot (laughs) because I've been everywhere but the Southeast. Okay. Um, Yeah. So I've Florida trail, eh? Uh, Pardon me? The Florida trail that's down the Southeast. Oh, Florida. I actually been there Ah. I've tried the Florida Trail. It's terrible. It's it's wet. <laughs> it, wet? No, it's not wet. You need a canoe. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I did like swim miles on the Florida Trail. Said so I got to come back with a canoe. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah, but Florida's actually a nice state. But Florida Trail, eh, at any rate, um, I, I've raced New England, California, and of course Colorado, and various other places in the United States, Canada. And Australia, New Zealand, France, Italy, etc. So I'm familiar. Yeah. Hong Kong, come to think of it. So I'm wow. familiar with many different places. So I kind of look at what I'm familiar with, mm. and I'm often here's what I'm sometimes struck with, Christian, is, wow, I did that 30 years ago. <laughs> so someone will submit a route that 
you know, I'd done that a long time ago, but there's no FKTs back then. We didn't have a website back then. And yeah. I never got out my logbook and went through it and submitted my stuff. Never did that. And so it's fairly common that a submission would come in that I had done previously and they, they established the rule. So that's, that's okay. That's good. Yeah. It's fair yeah. enough. It does jog me to think, well, on one hand, I've done a few things, but maybe not. There's always new things to do, isn't there? Actually, I am. Christian, I'm going to add a new route as soon as I have time to do it. Oh, right. What's this one then? Is it uh, pub? Can you make it public or? I'm going to tell you what it is. Go for it. Sleeping Bear Sand Dunes. That's got a really interesting name, Sleeping Bear Sand Dunes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, it's got, I, I agree. Thank you. I'm glad you found it interesting as I do. So I'm currently in Michigan, in the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, my main home is in Boulder, Colorado. But I, my big sport for me right now is stand-up paddling and surf skiing, which is a type of kayaking. So Michigan has a lot of water. Now, Sleeping Bear is the only national lakeshore in the United States. So, you know, we have a lot of national parks, but we have one national lakeshore, which okay. is this one. And it's an old Native American legend. The Manitou Indians are not really Indians, but that's what yeah. the common terminology is. So pardon me, it's, it's a white man terminology. Yeah. But the Natives who live there... Um, Name this for the mother bear who laid down on the shore, fell asleep, waiting for a cub to come home. And it's probably it, about six miles of pure white sand Whoa. along the coast of Lake Michigan. Yeah. It's gorgeous. And there's a route that starts a little bit inland and runs a little more than from a paved parking lot that runs over the sand dunes down to the big blue waters of Lake Michigan, turns around and runs back a little shy of four miles and about 700 vertical feet of elevation gain. And it's done barefoot on soft sand. So this to me is fun and it qualifies as an FKT route. We don't want anything shorter than five miles or less than 500 feet of vert. Okay. It's not really worth it. And this one's more than 500 feet. And being in soft sand makes it a lot harder than uh, uh, certainly a trail. Yeah. And it's got an awesome name too. Just say the name again. It's got four words. I've already forgot one of them. Sleeping Bear National Lakeshore. That can be Google. Okay. And the, yeah, loot, yeah. the route is going to be Sleeping Bear Sand Dunes. Okay. Yeah, that's... Oh, this is the thing. I mean, not too many places in the world do you find sand dunes. Now, you can find them in the Sahara Desert. You did Maritime de Saab. Yeah. But, you know, it's not, not that much fun. I mean, <laughs> congratulations, Christian, on completing Maritime de Saab. But having the big blue waters of Lake Michigan... Oh, yeah. And, and, and actually good wine. There's vineyards <laughs> around this. Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. And there's fresh picked blueberries and raspberries. So yeah. this is, this is worth it. Sounds like you're uh, getting rewarded as soon as you finish with a cold swim straight away, <laughs> straight away. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, you, you just run straight into the waters. And, okay. That's all good. And turn around and run back. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's pretty awesome, man. Um, yeah, I, 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 so actually, I didn't ask you, do you have any uh, children or are you married um, or any grandkids and stuff like that? Well, I do. I have, and as a matter of fact, and just mentioned Sleeping Bear, the biggest dune climb there on the Strava leaderboard, I'm in 11th place and my son, Galen, is in first place. There you go. Galen was fifth in the world long distance mountain running championships wow. in Switzerland a number of years ago, and he has won the Pikes Peak Marathon. So he is faster than I am, better looking than I am, makes more money than I am, and is much nicer than I am. 
Oh, well, you know what? You can't have it all. At least he's your son. (laughs) (laughs) I was the beta version. And then my daughter is is just as accomplished. She took up running probably just three or four or five years ago. Hmm. And she's a school teacher. And she has two kids here in Michigan. And so she's one of these classic people you read about that gets up at six o'clock in the morning does her four miles, comes home as a single mother, cooks breakfast for her kids, and goes off to teach school. So she definitely gets it done. And Galen also has two kids. So I have four grandchildren. No, that's nice. That's really nice. It's a, it's good to have family and uh, places to come and visit. So um, yeah, man, congrats on the uh, FKTs, but also congrats on the family. I'm a single man with no family and it's great fun because um, I don't have to answer to anyone when I go out and do these things. But uh, yeah, I always appreciate when I see family together. It's a beautiful thing. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, you like stand up paddle boarding and, and, and I actually looked on your Strava. You've got kayaking, you've got a bike going on, you've got golf, you're running. I mean, you know, it's, I, I, let actually, let me ask you as an athlete, have you ever suffered from any kind of injuries? Tons. <laughs> <laughs> in, injuries are, uh, actually I was going to sell t-shirts. I was going to make t-shirts. Yeah. You know, there's t-shirts are everywhere. This was just going to be two words. Injuries suck. Yeah. Yeah. They do. That's injuries it. do suck. That's it. I mean, yeah. people always are talking about well, it was all meant to happen. No, it wasn't. You don't want to get injured. Injuries suck. You know, let's quit kidding ourselves. So unfortunately, I've had numerous running injuries. Okay, yeah. Um, and they're, they're debilitating. They're discouraging. They're yeah. emotionally very, very discouraging. Yeah. So I've had um, two hamstring reattachments. Whoa, ouch. Yeah. That's no fun at all. Damn, I fractured wow. my pelvis. I fractured my calcaneus, my heel bone, and other things of that nature. So, yeah, it's part okay, of the you, sport. Yep, you've had your fair share. Yep. yep. Um, and in biking, you, basically, if you're a runner, you should be a cyclist also. Mm. You're going to get hurt, probably. And then cycling becomes your standby mm. because there's no impact. And when you're either recovering from or you have a little one, you can stay fit and enjoy yourself on the bike, unless you get hit by a car. Then you get killed. So you see it's sort of, you know, different. Running, you get a lot of little injuries. Biking, you're at the risk of one big one. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I think uh, you're right there. In fact, not I think you are right. Yeah, definitely having um, a bike, uh, whether even if it's on a stationary um, turbo trainer in the house, and uh yeah when you're injured you can easily jump on the bike depending on the injury i guess but just keep hold of that um cardiovascular fitness and um something to just uh jump on and release the stress um is it true that you once um you once uh, hitchhiked 80 miles away from your home in boulder only boulder colorado only to run back yeah Yeah, that's (laughs) That's not a rumor it's true no it's funny how much comments I get on this. This struck me as, why like, doesn't everybody do this? I know, that's uh, a normal thing to do, right? <laughs> um, well, I guess it is, but it makes a lot of sense to me. I called it the credit card run. Yeah. So why not, you know, we, we Ultimate Direction did a great job upping the game with the hydration vests and products, waist belts and handhelds as well. But why not just carry a credit card? It's a yeah. lot lighter weight. And so someone was going elsewhere. I didn't actually hitchhike. I just got a ride with them. And then I spent two days running back through the mountains. And so I just had a little a waste pack on and a credit card. Mm. And, you know, four grams. The credit card is the lightest piece of gear there is. <laughs> you can get into it. You can yeah. analyze your sleeping bag, your bivy sack, this your stove, all this stuff. And weigh it all out. Put it on the posted scale. Pare it down. 
or forget it all and just bring a credit card and march across the desert, mountains, whatever you want to do, and then come into a town, whip out that credit card and get yourself a shower, a hot meal and a room, and then put your sweaty clothes back on again the next morning and go out and do it again. So I think the credit card run is underappreciated. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I got to say, anyone um, who's surprised that you shiked out uh, and ran back with a credit card, I think they're missing out there because, um, yeah, that's that's like, you know, most people wake up every day and they know what their day is looking like. They know what their week is looking like. I guess in that situation, because I did hitchhike myself from, um, uh, I got the boat across from UK to uh, mainland France. And then I hitchhiked all the way down France, all the way into Italy, um, and then just jumped on a train and went and saw my Italian girlfriend. And I tell you what, not knowing what was going to happen that day, that's when you really feel truly alive. You know, uh, the, the true sense of adventure, I think, is the unknown. So, yeah, that makes perfect. That's logical. Yeah. Of course, if you had an Italian girlfriend, you were motivated. You know what? Everyone needs some kind of carrot to dangle in front of them. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, pretty good. Huh? That, that's worthy. Um, are you a beer drinker? Or I know you mentioned wine. Uh, I actually am a mixologist. So I uh, used to work for the Association of Brewers. I helped in the United States invent and uh, create popularized the microbrewery and craft beer movement. Wow. Which is modeled after the real ale movement in the UK, by the way. Yeah. And so I was definitely a beer drinker. I used to own a vineyard that produced wine grapes, so I'm quite familiar with wine and a venophile as well. Yeah, very familiar with that. But my personal interest has been mixology. Okay. Um, oh, wow. Because I can control yeah. that better. And so we buy the spirit and I, for example, you're familiar with the hard rock 100. Of course. Yes. Yep. And so ultimate directions rented a house down there and held a pre-race party for a number of years. Uh -huh. And I brought a cask conditioned cocktail to that party every year. And so a few months in advance, I'll produce my own mix. For example, one year I used um, some, uh, what was it? It was, it was a whiskey starter and I picked some spruce buds, which has this nice uh, green piquancy to it and added a little bit of maple syrup to ease it up and uh, conditioned it in my own oak cans for about two months. Wow. People really liked it. So yeah. So that possible to do your own mixes. Yeah, that's a that's a pre-party. Um, I hope it's I hope it's not um, I hope it's not too close to the race with that kind of mix there. Yeah, you're right. The race starts on Friday at six a.m. and the pre-race party is Wednesday. Oh, that's better. Yeah, people can sleep in on Thursday. Actually, I was going to ask you about that. I looked on um, so for people listening, there's a website called Ultra Sign Up, and uh, you know, it lists um, some of people's ultras, not all of them, because I've done um, ultras which haven't showed up on there. So have you done um, like Leadville or um, Weston or some of these hundreds? Because uh, I couldn't oh, see them on ultra sign right. No, you're right. I got out of racing fairly early. Yeah. Leadville. Never did Western States. Okay, um, yeah. I actually was entered in a hard rock one year, but they canceled it due to too much snow. Okay. So you've, you have done a um, hundred straight out like that Leadville. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm. I've done a hundred mile trail race, mm. but then, you know, you're, you're paying a bit of money. There and mm. So the concept of the FKT appealed to me right away. Yeah. Because I create my own project. And so I'd love to race. I'd, do not want to criticize races in any way. No, no, social it's different. Is good. It's just different. There's yeah. a social aspect, there's a competitive aspect. And for yeah. many people, it's just a lot easier. You don't have to think that much. Of course, you think a lot anyway. That's what human beings do. Yeah. But realistically, you show up at a certain date, at a certain time, at a certain place, and you go in a certain direction. Yeah. Right? This is what you're going to do. 
And if you have any problems, someone's going to haul your butt out of there and save you. So yeah. That's yeah. all fine. On an FKT, none of the above. For a fastest known time, you decide where, when, what time, and how. And if you have a problem, well, it's up to you. You have to figure out the weather. You have to figure out the terrain. You have to figure out a lot of things. And so for an experienced runner, they naturally gravitate to FKTs because they can engage more of their skill set. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. To uh, turn up to an ultra, an organized event, it's pretty, you don't have to think. You just have to pay the subscription fee and then show up with a pair of shorts and, and running shoes and a top. Um, whereas an FKT or this um, kind of adventure definitely takes uh, more thought. Um, I, uh, yeah, I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to open myself up a beer here. I, I'm, um, I got a local brewery near me, near um, me called uh, the Gypsy Hill Brewery, and they do a really nice beer. So I'm having a Hepcat. <laughs> Yeah, and of course, UK's got the best beer. Oh well, like you said, in the wrong direction. Mm. I, I'm going to edit. Can I editorialize for a second? Mm. The states, you know, I helped found the, the craft beer movement, and so yeah. it really took off. It's the only category of beer in the United States that has been growing. The big companies have not been growing for a number of years now. The craft beers, so-called craft beers, which is defined a certain number of barrels produced per year continues mm. to grow but the american style my opinion went off the rails america is always bigger is better mm. we have these very high gravity beers that i mean high alcohol we oh, have yeah. beers that are eight percent yeah which is nuts and commonly they can be six percent and they're very very happy so they make your IPAs, which is an English term, of course, India Pale mm. Ale. They yeah. put it in those high quantity of hops in it. So it's shipped from England to India and make the journey with, by being preserved by the high hopping rate and the yeah. high alcohol rate. And we put some of the, we make some of those seem mild with our high concentration of hops and our high gravity. And I just don't find it enjoyable. And they tend to be served cold and fizzy. So last time I was in England, yeah, we went down. Where I forgot where we were. It was where were we? we're south, 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 southeast near the coast on the coast. Okay, just south of the Thames, Southwall, something called Southwall. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, actually, you mentioned uh, Maritime Bassam. Oh my gosh, and I've forgotten a woman's name. She's originally from Sweden. She lives in the UK. She's Elizabeth Barnes. Elizabeth Barnes. Elizabeth Barnes. I was yeah. totally there with Elizabeth and her husband. They hosted me there. We went out to a pub right there in the water and it was like, oh my gosh. I had finished that first pint before the fish and chips arrived. And I <laughs> like, yeah. This is, in my personal opinion, this is what beer is supposed to be like. You know, it's not ice cold. Yeah. It's not super carbonated. It's balanced. So I was in beer heaven. Yeah, no, I got to agree there. The ales um, were quite, um, I think years ago, someone wrote a book and what they did was, I can't remember if they cycled or walked, but they did uh, Land's End to John O'Groats, which is the length of the country, Scotland, down to the all the way down to the tip of England and um, their journey was to stop off at pubs and taste different ales and I thought what a really nice adventure I mean that's their own adventure they um, design designed invented it and, and, and went ahead and did that so yeah ales are nice they're they're not fizzy and uh, they're not ice cold and yeah it's a pretty clean four ingredient um, item right there yeah right mm. um, so so uh, you, when you talk about, you live in Colorado, um, which is absolutely somewhere which I can't wait to get to and come and have a visit. Um, you obviously, it had an impression on you if you went to university there and you still have a home. And is that where you spend most of your time, Colorado? Yeah, based almost all of our time. But mm. um, by the way, you asked me about family. I mentioned I have two kids. 
Oh yeah. Has two children of their own. Yeah. And I'm divorced and very good, good friends with my wife. Okay. Yeah. And now I have a partner who's also good friends with my former wife and we're all one big that's nice yeah i like that yeah thank you so if i say we that's what i'm referring to now and we yeah. do not have any children together yeah yeah we yeah have, we have kayaks together <laughs> no you know what yeah kayaks um you, you buy them and then that's it i don't think there's much servicing going on you know <laughs> you don't have to put them through college <laughs> indeed yeah so boulder colorado is still main base and uh, as I mentioned, I've gotten really into stand-up paddling and the surf ski. You can Google that if you want, surf yeah. ski, which is yeah. a type of kayak. And okay. Michigan is fabulous for this. We've got great water. And unlike Colorado, where the reservoir level and the river level drops precipitously as summer wears on, Michigan's got tons of water. There's no water shortage here. And so we have wonderful water sports available. And then as you mentioned, looking at my Strava feed, great bike routes. Michigan bills itself as the rails to trails state. So Christian, this is probably not a thing in the UK, but there's a lot of abandoned railroad grays here in the United States. Wow. Yeah. I like Mm. Right. So back in the day, they used to lumber things. They just you know, pushed a railroad in there and then they cut all the trees down. You know, that's how it goes with resource extraction. It's boom to bust. And then the railroad closes down. But the grade is still there. So houses, industry or whatever can grow up around it. But the railroad still owns this, you know, 20 meter wide right away. And so some genius said, hey, let's turn it into a trail because that right-of-way is still there. We don't have private property hassles. So Michigan has, I think, 300 miles of converted rails to trails. And these tend to have very little elevation gain since it was mm. a railroad. And yeah. not technical because they're largely straight, but no cars. And so the no cars thing is really fun. It's really nice. And I recently I did a 142 mile ride that all but 25 of it was on converted rail trails, which means no signs, no billboards. You know, I'm on a bike through the woods, often in view of the water, that's safe and very, very pleasant. So that's what I'm doing in Michigan right now. We decided to spend the whole summer here Riding yeah. paddle and bikes, new terrain, and we'll be back in Colorado this fall. Okay, and um, those bikes uh, you're talking about—I mean, you're talking about a mountain bike, I guess. Um, is no, that Christian? Come on, you got to be with me here. Ca come on, educate me here, Buzz. <laughs> uh, school me here. Take me to school. The gravel bike. Uh, okay, yeah. That's right. You heard it. The gravel bike. So it's another thing that the United States invented. Uh, and gravel bikes are the thing. Starting about two years ago, the entire growth in cycling in the United States was in the gravel category. Mountain biking is not growing here. Road cycling is not growing here. Gravel biking is definitely growing. And partially because these are fairly light and nimble and quick bikes. Mm. And they, you can ride them not on busy streets. So yeah. you probably won't get killed by a car. And mountain bikes are great. They're still really good, but they're a little slow. And so unless yeah. you're on a single track trail, it's like, eh, you really want to be doing that. You see what I mean? So the gravel yeah. bike, at least in the States, with our terrain and our culture, opens a lot of really good riding to us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, going back to um, F FKTs, is is there any FKT that has stuck out in your mind as just, um, I'm, well, okay, there's probably quite a few, but it, it, could, could you speak about one that actually just kind of blows your mind? Oh, wow. That's an interesting question. I think a lot of them are extremely impressive. <laughs> Yeah, of course. I, I think 
what I what I've really appreciated is a theme, a thematic element that I've noticed since we've started this website. And that's once you go more than a week, the hikers are faster than the runners. Mm. This is interesting, don't you think? Mm, it is. Of course it is. I would yeah. think the runners would be faster, that's obvious, but they're not. And so I find this very, very interesting. So if you look at the big routes here, Appalachian Trail in particular, and the slow, the fast guys do okay, but then a slow guy comes back and takes the FKT. And we've seen that many, many times. The AT, the Appalachian Trail, is such a good example because there's a pretty good history of this. I mean, some established FKT like in the 50s, <laughs> they were they've been trying to do do it fast for a long time. And then a, some of the best ultra runners in America got on it. Of course, I'm talking about Scott Jurek and Carl Meltzer, right? Yep. And, and then uh, Joe McConaughey goes out and does it self-supported faster. Okay? Yeah. So uh, uh, Carl Meltzer, the winningest 100-miler on Earth, he's won more 100-mile trail races than, by far than anybody. On his third try, he beat Scott Jurek's time. And both of them had full crew support, which means that every road crossing practical, there is the van waiting for them. To give them food, give them water, change their clothes, change their shoes, whatever they needed. And then at the end of the day, you know, they got inside that van, they laid down in that nice soft bed and someone fed them, right? Mm. Literally, here's your food. Woke up the next morning and said, here's your breakfast, now go out the door. And Joe McConaughey beat their time carrying his own food and his own tent. Hmm. That's yeah. saying something. <laughs> yeah, I know that is. Joe has been on the show and also Carl Meltzer as well. And I've spoke to them both in depth about the Appalachian Trail. And... Um, yeah, Joe is, uh, I mean, he also just got the long trail as well, I know. And he did hold the PCT, uh, which he did supported, but I think he tends to do more unsupported stuff now. So, yeah, isn't yeah. it funny how someone, you know, with a crew meeting them and like you said, someone uh, to even untie your shoelaces when you, you know, you're tired. Not saying that that happened, but yeah, full support over someone unsupported and the unsupported, uh, you know, guy beats them. Um, then. I mean, I have a bit of history myself because I paced um, Carol Sabe for 15 days uh, on the Appalachian Trail. You did? Yeah, wow. yeah. yeah You're that... an expert on this topic, then, because I was going to mention Carol is in Carol oh, no. Yeah, go ahead. Of the string beans time. I know. Yeah. I mean, um, it was epic to be part of something uh, so special um, and uh, to see. To, to be out there with Carol, we, it was, it was like, we became brothers on the trail. You know, we both kind of were quite upset when we parted ways and I had to go cause I had UTMB to run in Chamonix, but um, yeah, there's, there's a brotherhood, a brotherhood, which is formed on the trail for sure. Definitely. Well, that's an excellent example, Christian, because he of course demonstrated how to do it. I mean, that's textbook. And that's um, what, People like Scott and Carl did not do, which is always keep moving. So my personal theme here is if you're a, we see this everything from the John Muir Trail to the Appalachian Trail and elsewhere, mm. the good ultra runners think their speed's going to get them through to the end. Mm. And they're wrong. Mm. And they tend to be a little arrogant. They do not do their homework and they do not do their research. Meanwhile, the through hikers, which is a, a U.S. terminology, pardon me, the through hiker means someone who is hiking a long trail from start to finish. Mm. Through hiking is mm. literal. They do good research. They button it up. They have good methodology, and they're more methodical. Well, the ultra runners tend to say, "Hey, I'm fast," and, and uh, not so much. You know, it's the old tortoise versus the hare story isn't it yeah I, actually that's um completely true you know that's the thing and actually i wanted to ask you about the uh, <clears throat> the phrase 
for, I, I don't know if it's relentless forward motion. Um, is that something to do with you, Buzz? Right, right. Uh, Peter and I mentioned that back when we were doing the uh, Colorado Trail and then the John Muir Trail, which is it's all about time spent moving forward. And so, yes, I quite called that relentless forward motion. And then the term was adopted. I think it was Brian Powell who used it as the title of his book, wasn't it? Yep, yep, that's yeah. right. I got that book. Yeah, it's a good book. And Brian's a great guy, so I'm happy he uh, used the, that terminology. That's what that means. Yeah. It's, it's not how fast you're moving. It's how many hours per day that you're moving forward. <laughs> yeah, you, you probably experienced this. I mean, you can just you know, run away from from someone like you know nothing, and then if you stop to take a lunch break, they're going to catch up and they're going to pass you. <laughs> yeah, so it's really about moving fast, uh, moving forward, relentless forward motion. And we saw that. I'll give you a little personal history on that. That was demonstrated to us by Flying Brian. Brian, Brian Robinson, the first person to do the calendar triple crown. Wow. Which was the Appalachian Trail, Continental Divide Trail, and Pacific Crest Trail in one calendar year. This is like 7,600 miles. Yeah. And Peter and I met Brian. Of course, he was hiking the whole thing. And Peter and I went, wow, he knows what he's doing. That He had it down to a science. And uh, very, very impressive stuff. And we saw that again uh, when Brett Mowney got the record on the John Muir Trail. Because mm. he was beating you know, Hal Corner's time. And some of the best ultra runners in America. Brett, no one had heard of, beat the time. And people were doubting. They said, oh, no, he faked it. He couldn't have done that. And so I, I, of course, had Brett on our podcast. Brett's a friend of mine. And Brett told me he practiced drinking water out of the bottle. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> he practiced dipping water, drinking water, and putting it back in his pack. He said, really? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that 150 times. Yeah. So it takes an extra 30 seconds. You see what I mean? Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no. Two I hours. Yeah. That's an hour and a half. So, wow. Okay. That's, that's what Brett was doing. Relentless forward motion, indeed. Yeah, well, I actually, um, I learned many things from Carol Sabay, but I did teach him one thing. I learned him how to pee moving forward. So, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. So th that, that was quite, um, uh, that helped because I literally said, you know, how many times are we going to stop to pee? You know, over 40 something days. I was only there for 15, but yeah. And uh, I think Carol uh, adopted that. So, um, definitely relentless forward motion is, I think, um, the the rabbit and the hare scenario. Yep, just keep on moving forward. And you have definitely went up to me. I've never been able to pee while moving. <laughs> well, it wasn't running. I think it was walking, but at least it wasn't standing still. Right. <laughs> <I hate you. laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, so where do you feel... Uh, so with the fastest known times website, again, people can go and have a look at that website and submit a route or go for an FKT and also please, you know, make a donation on the Patreon. I'll put the link in the, again, for um, people listening in the show notes, where do you see this going? Because I mean, this is growing exponentially. I mean, the ultra is growing, but now FKT, especially with the COVID situation and races shutting down people doing their own adventures, Something is happening. Something really special is happening with FKT. Where, where can you see the future of FKT? Well, I wish I could give you a good answer to that. Yeah. But I cannot. Uh, no. Honestly and regrettably, we are a little overwhelmed here. The three of us, yeah. Yeah. as you noted, uh, I suggested donating. You said you're going to put the Patreon link on the show notes, which For I sure. appreciate. But right now, we're basically providing free service. Mm. It's taking a lot of time. So where does this go from here is we hopefully get it together and list some help of regional editors to manage mm -hmm. like country blocks, regions of a country. So we can 
they can handle the submissions and get some IT support from Jeff, our IT guy. Because right now we're we're hamstrung. We we can't yeah. do anything more. Yeah. Our business is not operating very well. I'm sorry to say, mm. we're, a little, we're a little too overwhelmed. Mm. And so, unfortunately, I cannot give you a satisfactory answer to that question, mm. except that FKTs are here to stay. There's no that's doubt good. about that. That, that, that. That's for sure. That's not going away. They've gotten this huge boost with races being canceled. So now people want to do FKTs. But even when races come back, FKTs will still be here. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good to hear because um, there's something really special about, um, you know, having the FKT and not having, you know, you're not wearing a bib, you're going for something, some something outside of an ultra. So that's good news. Pleased with that, um, Buzz. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, uh, I've, I've taken up enough of your time here. We've, we've done well over an hour and, uh, you know, I, I think the truth is I don't think an hour could really do, uh, you justice, your history, what, you know, how long you've been involved in the sport. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Yeah, but then I'd have to put my butt in a chair. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's so true. I mean, sometimes, it's so just true. It, yeah. <laughs> You know, there's a certain personality type that people have suggested that frequently. I appreciate, yeah. I really definitely like that suggestion. I'm honored by the suggestion. And I think, oh my gosh, I'd have to sit in the chair. I can't handle it. I can't do it. So at this point in time, I'd really go outside and play. Yeah, so yeah. I keep going outside and play. Sorry. Buzz, how many kids write books? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, a good point none mm. they're outside and they're playing <laughs> gotcha all right Thank well you. hey yeah is there anything you'd like to um uh, uh share with anyone before um i guess we shut this down and um uh, any shout outs or again any you want to point anyone in the direction of anything or do you want to plug anything i have a i have a closing one-liner for you sure in this age of the global pandemic Keep in mind, courtesy is contagious as well. I, I like that, man. Um, yeah, I prefer to be uh, infected with courtesy. I, I think I'll, I'll take that any day. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, hey, Buzz, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Well, take care. Have a nice night. What a cool dude. I tell you what, that was so interesting for me. I learned so much. Please, guys, do go ahead and visit the Fastest Known Times website and make a contribution on their donation tab uh, to help support the site. Uh, Buzz, wow, full of interesting stories and what an interesting character. I really enjoyed that. So uh, also anyone interested in online run coaching, go ahead and check out my website, which is uh, christianultra.com. You can find me on there and I help coach clients from like marathons to like 100 milers uh, here in the UK and in America, Australia, all over the world. Go ahead and check that out. Uh, anyone who wants to hear about my personal adventures, go and check out my Instagram, which is also Christian Ultra. And uh, you can follow my journey there. Guys, I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. So in the meantime, have fun and get outside and run those trails. Mm -hmm.